Hey revolutionaries, this is Sylvia, and you're listening to The Revolution of Wholeness. Now, before we get started with this juicy revolution making, I want you to know that The Revolution of Wholeness is brought to you by the Has Everything in Co. platform. Has Everything in Co. is a constellation of projects made by me, Sylvia, and in the Has Everything universe, we believe that we have everything we need to create the lives we most desire for ourselves, for each other, and as we build our communities and networks. There's even a book by the title, We Have Everything, that came out in March of this year that details the blueprint. Every star in the constellations produced by the Has Everything in Co. universe are steps along the way to seeing all of our dreams manifest. Welcome to the conversation. This part is the revolution of wholeness. Hey, revolutionaries, it's me, Sylv, just like usual. I've got an extra special episode for you today. As many of you know, I just finally graduated from my very first 200-hour yoga teacher training. That's right, your girl is a certified yoga teacher now. Welcome to the new era. For this special celebratory episode, I actually have my entire yoga teacher training cohort on with me. If you don't know what a cohort is, it's basically just a group of people that engage in learning together in an intentional way. And believe me, we are definitely very intentional. Our cohort was housed at IA, which is home of non-performative yoga and yoga education, but you can learn more about that later in the episode. For now, let's get flowing. Hey, revolutionaries, it's me, Sylv here with a very special episode of the Revolution of Wholeness podcast. I know last time you all felt like you were getting such a special treat with two guests being on the podcast. Well, guess what? I doubled it. I have four guests on the podcast with me today. I'm super excited to have them all here. These are the other four people that are in my yoga teacher training cohort. As many of you listeners know, I've been training to become a certified yoga teacher with Iyawel, which is uh, led by Abiyala Akani, a very dope yoga teacher and practitioner, originally, I think, from Nigeria by way of Atlanta, spent some time in Seattle and has settled herself in Houston, but more on her and her incredible yoga school later. I would love to uh, pass the mic over to my fellow yogistas. Yogistas is a word that I made up because yogi is a very uh, problematic but also traditional word, and we weren't sure how we felt about calling ourselves yogis, Um, but I wanted to call us something, and so these are my sisters, but they're also my yogistas. Feel me? So um, we didn't really decide who was going to go first. Y'all are giggling now, which is great. Um, Ebony, would you like to introduce yourself first so the audience can get to know your voice? Uh, sure. My name is Ebony, of course, and I am currently residing in Portland, Oregon. Um, not from Portland, but I have been here, traveled quite a bit. I moved here from Santa Cruz and lived in Costa Rica. I grew up in New Mexico and lived in Atlanta South, you know, for some time too. So I'm a little bit of a nomad. Um, but yeah, I'm in Portland now and just 
how I came into this yoga teacher training, it was kind of just felt very serendipitous. Like I, this was actually my second 200 hour YTT. And um, my first one, uh, it was in like 2017, 2018. And it's in front of Vinyasa um, from the Samudra School of Yoga, like Chiva Ray, if you know her, um, she's a, you know, pretty popular um, yogi. I say that in air quotes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, but I finished that up in 2018, and then after that, like, I started teaching for a couple of months, and life hit me pretty hard. Um, my mother got diagnosed with cancer. I had to, you know, stop teaching yoga, and I was also a high school English teacher at the time, and I quit that job to become a full-time caregiver. Um, and so I used, you know, the yoga just to deepen my own personal practice, and I was able to use it with my mother, doing yoga nature and things of that nature, but I never really got back in a studio or in a class setting. And I was craving that, but like with all the moving around that we were doing, I also am a mother of two. It was hard to prioritize that, um, especially being a caregiver as well. And it's just, it was just one thing after another. And when 2020 hit, um, I think the wellness industry went up in flames and you got to really see, you know, a lot of the true colors and a lot of the spiritual bypassing that was happening in the yoga and wellness world. And that just led me to really just crave, you know, yoga from a Black woman's perspective. Um, and that's how EOL just kind of fell into my lap. I don't even remember, you know, how I came across her, but I know that I applied um, to this cohort and did my interview. And once I learned more about it from um, um, Abiola, you know, it just was so in line with, you know, what I wanted to do with my yoga um, my trans, um, translation of yoga. And it just, I just knew that it would give me all the right tools with the lineup of facilitators that she has. And so I was on board and I moved some stuff around to get into it. Um, yeah, cause I've had a long relationship with yoga, like a lot of us. And you just, I, it's just such a healing modality for me that I wanted to be able to bring to everyday people. So yeah, that's how I, I landed here. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And uh, the piece you said about yoga from a Black woman's perspective is really standing out to me. I think that the wellness center industry is so did just blow the F up in 2020. And everybody's true colors came out. There was no veil anymore. It was just, is you or is you not? Um, and Abiola definitely is. Um, and yeah, Black women have a legacy of really being the cornerstone of what care means in uh, the United States and globally too. So I really appreciate you for helping us open with that. Thank you. Miss Nordia, do you want to go next? Sure, I can go next. So yes, <laughs> my name is Nordia and I am currently residing in Orlando, Florida. Um, I've lived in Florida basically all of my life. I moved for school, so I lived in Baltimore for about four years, and I am in the process of relocating to Los Angeles, which should be interesting. <laughs> so I'll be over there on the West Coast with y'all real soon. Um, yes, and what brought me to this training? Well, uh, I think it's a good segue that I'm going after Ebony because I came to the mat in Asana in 2020. So I was really looking for a way to like 
honestly, it was about initially started with like wanting something to work my body, something to do during the pandemic. And I started taking yoga classes and that was just like, it just continued. Um, And when I realized that my practice started to become more about working my body than like being with my body um, was when I dislocated my shoulder. A lot of you know about this. So that shoulder injury really forced me to slow down. And literally a week after I dislocated my shoulder, I got into a car accident. So I really had to slow down because I had a concussion. It was just the whole thing. So that slowing down and turning back inwards was like really helpful in creating this space for me to look deep in myself and question myself about why I was doing yoga anyways. And I actually was going to be applying for the previous cohort. Um, so not the previous cohort, cohort last year, March. Um, but because of my shoulder dislocation and then the car accident, like I couldn't. So during that process of like healing and rehabbing my shoulder, I got really into yin yoga and that like we've all talked about with Tamika often, um, who is a founder of Ashe Yoga. She has talked about like sitting in that discomfort and sitting in like what's what's shifting and what's moving when you're in these postures for multiple minutes. And I was really having to sit with that. And that just like, it changed a lot for me internally about what my yoga practice was about. Um, I think it, it allowed me to see that before I felt like I had to earn rest. And mm. I was coming to a place where I realized that like, I deserved it, regardless of like, what my body could or could not do. Um, and that was something that like, I'm I'm still like, receiving that over and over again. Um, I took a vinyasa class on Monday and I was like, I really was trying to like put my body through it just to get to Shavasana. And now I'm mm-hmm. like, girl, let's start the class with Shavasana. Let's start <laughs> laying down, relaxing. <laughs> so yeah, yes, I am really glad to be here with all of you. I feel like y'all just make the cohort, y'all make the experience and yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much, Nordia. And yeah, I'm not glad that you got that injury and that you were put through that pain. But I got to say, I'm so glad that you were part of cohort five. We are the powerful change makers that we are. We wouldn't be the same without you. And I'm so glad that I got to do this experience alongside you specifically and and the rest of y'all too. So I'm glad that, you know, spirit moved in ways such that you would be a part of this cohort. And I also really appreciated so much about um, what you said about yoga, your yoga practice shifting to be something where you can sit with the discomfort. I do think that really relates back to what Ebony was saying around, um, when 2020 hit, because so much of that stuff, you know, so much of the wellness industry was smoke and mirrors. Um, and it wasn't people actually being able to sit with their discomfort. It was them, you know, maybe self-medicating by juicing every single day. And um, that is not a way to actually be well or to um, pursue wholeness in your life. It's a way to just on the surface level kind of pretend like things are okay. So I really appreciate you bringing that in too. Tiara, Mama Tiara, do you want to go next and introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, 
So my name's Tiara. I'm from Miami, Florida, born and raised. Um, my parents are from Jamaica and Peru. Um, so lots of holistic healing and teachings uh, that I was brought up with already. Um, yoga, I feel like, is just a part of me. Um, I own my grandmother's journal, and she studied yoga as well. Um, and even before I knew that, I was already like in the practice. Um, I've been doing, oh man, I've been practicing yoga probably for like 10 plus years, um, but really got serious about it about like five years ago. Uh, in the beginning, it was like very trendy. I lived in Miami Beach and, you know, the yoga studios and stopping at Starbucks and all the cute things. Um, but I realized like the changes that it made for me over the years and like I how it was really helping me with my anxiety. Um, as a younger adult, I had a lot of anger issues. And so I was realizing like when I would feel angry, I would like run to my mat or go to a class to just kind of release. Um, the last few years, like everyone else through the pandemic, it was my yoga practice that like really supported me and carried me through. Um, and I saw like the changes and what it meant. Um, also, you know, I had to sit with so many things and sit with myself in that practice. So I'm just truly thankful like to have it. Um, I came across the YTT um, because for the last two years, I've been looking for a yoga program, but I've been very specific on who I wanted to learn from and how I wanted to learn. And so when I came across Abiala's program, I was like, yo, this is dope. I, I have to apply. Um, but I was like, I was so busy at work and I honestly, I forgot to submit my application. Um, until the last day. And I, I, I want to say, I think it was like the day after, but I submitted it anyway. I wasn't going to, and I was like, damn, I missed a deadline. Um, but I sent it in anyway and got an interview. So I was super excited when she sent over, you know, um, the email saying that I was accepted and, you know, it's been, it's been a journey ever since like everyone in it is just super dope. So I'm happy, you know, that we're all together. Mm. That's so special, Tiara, and I'm so happy that you're here too. And um, yeah, thank you also for sharing about some of that emotional stuff that can uh, come up when you're doing yoga and taking the practice seriously and using it as a lifestyle. I definitely have also been able to use it as a way to feel my feelings and release them. Sometimes I don't even have to understand them. Like when I use yoga to get through them, I, they don't have to be intellectualized. You know, mm -hmm. I could just feel them, process them and let them go, which is great. So thank you. Um, all right, Jam, last but certainly not least. Thank you so much, um, Sol, for having us and um, everybody else for sharing. I feel really honored to be in space with you all especially as the only person who is not black in the group <laughs> y'all are powerful ass human beings and I just want to honor that space and that this space is like um something that I'm also you know 
taking up. And um, I want to be very conscientious about that um, always and moving forward. So that being said, um, I am originally from Saskatchewan, Canada. Uh, I was born there, but I've lived in uh, Seattle, Coast Salish Territory since um, 1998. Very long time. We grew up here. Um, yoga has been uh, like a an ancestral thing for me. Um, my mom and my aunt introduced me to the practice and, uh, I just remember like being out in the yard with my aunt and she was doing her asana and I was like watching her and felt like a very special spiritual relationship with, um, you know, the arms coming up overhead and the hands coming down at a heart center. I was like, this is something, this is something else. And she said, Jazz, did you know that you can heal anything with just your breath? And I was like, even cancer? And she's like, even cancer. And I was like, what? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> and uh, since then, you know, I, I'm a dancer and a movement artist. Um, that's my, my calling for sure. And um, yoga has been such a trip with movement because um, it's not about putting on a show necessarily but connecting more deeply um to yourself and uh it's been quite a journey i've been injured many times and i'm still not fully like i'm not at peak health in any way shape or form <laughs> and i'm really like this ytt is pushing me in the direction of um don't turn away from all the work that you need to do and uh it's hard as f <laughs> But I'm so glad that this is happening because without it, I probably wouldn't do it at all. And I just wouldn't grow up. So yeah. Jam, mm, that's so good. I appreciate you for sharing all of that. I just came across one of my favorite Maya Angelou quotes today, which is, I don't know if y'all are familiar with her as an author, but she has this quote about how some people just never grow up. They get older, but they don't actually grow up because growing up requires intention and it does require you to face yourself and make decisions and actually become an adult. Like I think back when I was a kid, I didn't have to make that many decisions because my parents were making them for me. Um, now, whether they made those decisions wisely or not, that is a whole different conversation. We're not going to go there on this episode. If you want to know more about that, listen to the prior episode uh, from April. But anyway, point being, like you just kind of let other people make decisions for you when you're a kid because that's what makes sense. That's what your brain has capacity to do. A lot of people never really tap in to their brain's full capacity to be a whole ass grown up human being. Um, I think a lot of that comes also just in the United States. I see that in our culture. Like we let the government or the popular kid, celebrities, whatever, make decisions for us um, about what we should be doing with our lives. And a lot of people never even exercise that muscle. Um, I also realized, revolutionaries, I've never told y'all why I did yoga or why I came to uh, this YTT. So I'm going to take up a moment of space. Um, and then I want to get into hearing from some of my cohort mates about um, what does wholeness even have to do with yoga and this practice and this yoga cohort um, for us? 
So for me, I've actually been practicing yoga for 15 years. Y'all heard that right, 15 years. And I know that you know that I look young, but I'm not. So I started yoga um, back when I was in high school. It was uh, my PE teacher. She did a, a yoga class and I was hooked and I hated going to PE in in school. So I signed up for yoga at the community college because they would count that as running start PE class. And I just did yoga um, for my PE classes ever since um, until I graduated. And I fell in love with the practice. When I went away to college, um, spiritually, emotionally, identity-wise, I felt really lost. But I knew that yoga was always something I could go to to feel good, be in my body, and feel like I have my two feet underneath me. So I've definitely, it's definitely been a saving grace for me throughout lots of different portions of my life. I actually met Abiyala, our yoga um, teacher's teacher. Uh, I want to say I was probably like 23. I was pretty young and she was doing um, some community yoga classes. And I just thought it was dope that there was a black woman teaching yoga in my neighborhood because so many of the, I had actually never been taught by a black woman before. It was always white women whose bodies did not look like mine, um, who did not have similar life experiences as me. And Honestly, it kind of felt often like they were kind of trying to be Indian when they weren't. And part of me just wanted to be like, just own it that you are a white girl teaching yoga. That's who you (laughs) is. And it is what it is. Like, come on now. And they didn't want to do that. So then I found Biala and I was like, oh, my God, this is dope. She started doing trap vinyasa, which was something that involved trap music. Uh, At the time, I felt really seen by that and like I could really relate. Um, I've moved away from from that, but it really served me at that time. And so after the pandemic, similar to many of y'all, I just felt like it was time mm-hmm. for me to um, become somebody that can offer that. And even in the small moments that I have been offering some teaching experiences so far, I got to say, it is really, really humbling to know that the people that I'm leading through an asana, which for those of you revolutionaries that don't know, asana is basically the physical movements of yoga. So yoga is a lot more than just the physical movements, but asana is what you do when you go to a yoga class and you move your body. Um, And when I'm teaching people that, they really trust me. And there's so much responsibility and power that comes with that. And it's really such an honor. All right, I've taken up enough time telling you all about myself. And I don't know if you can hear my cat having the zoomies in the background. <laughs> but this is what happens when, you're, when your podcast studio is also your house. He's going nuts. Uh, Jabari says hello. But anyway, um, Jam, I think I want to hear from you first just a little bit about this concept of wholeness, what it means to you, and, and how it relates to your yoga journey. Such a beautiful question, and I know that this is like the concept of your your entire universe that you're building, so I'm grateful to be a part of it. To me, I realized this after we had class about shadow work with Tamika. Tamika was talking about the koshas, and I'm not going to get into the koshas because I'm still... <laughs> it was during this conversation when we are talking about the shadow and like... 
um, that we're actually not trying to like look outside of ourselves for stuff, but actually what wholeness is, is kind of removing the layers of stuff and uh, all of the, the things that you've learned um, throughout your lifetime that uh, may not be serving you in any way that you need to kind of release and let go of and release and let go of and like like you're wringing out a towel you know there's lots to you know drip <laughs> yeah absolutely thank you for sharing that and I'm also sorry for that little distraction of Jabari continuing to go nuts um at- but you beautifully described um this concept of wholeness and that has really shown up a lot i don't know what is his problem anyway (laughs) that concept of um taking things off and removing things that have been placed on you has shown up a lot throughout the last um several months of recording this podcast and abney i see you shaking your head a lot um, I wonder if we can pass the mic your way. It seems like you might have some thoughts. I was just raised in church, and so we always <laughs> interact deeply. Yeah, that's just something that I would, because everything you're saying, I'm like nodded and agreeing to. Um, but yeah, can you tell me the question? Or were you? Just yeah, asking? just like what what what's coming up for you as you're listening to Jam talking about, and and my, me also reflecting a little bit around. Uh, this concept of wholeness being uh, something that already exists inside of you, but kind of gets fragmented by all these different things that get placed on you. And this process of finding your wholeness again, being one of removing those excess things that have been placed on you. Yeah. I love that. I love the idea of it just being describing it as describing it as being fragmented, you know, just because it spreads you out, it breaks you apart. Right. And all while, we're still whole, you know, I feel like I too just love, you know, what you're creating and the attention that you're bringing to wholeness. And, you know, even you asking these questions to make us think deeper about what it means to us. Um, just because I think, you know, looking at us as a whole um, person really just allows ourselves to range, you know, to be our full selves without having to, um, cut parts out and be like, oh, that's me too. You know what I mean? Um, without carrying shame um, with it. And so, yeah, I'm nodding and agreeing to everything you're saying because I feel it deep. Yeah. What about you, Tiara? Yeah, I like the no shame. That that really hit because I feel like society has taught us to be very one-dimensional. You have to be this one thing. You have to be inside this box. And as I was growing up, realizing like I'm this creative person that is just into so many things and there's so many different aspects to me, I was always like, okay, well, yeah, I'm a nerd. I love sci-fi. I love books. I love reading. Um, I love dancing. And I grew up in Miami to booty bass music, you know, the ratchetness and we, so it's like, you can't be this and you can't be this. Well, I'm I'm everything, you know, and I've had to go through phases where I'm having to incorporate and be comfortable with it all. As a woman, as a Black woman, as a 
queer Black woman too. My sexuality, like that also comes into it. And I feel like that's something that's never discussed in yoga, like how we're showing up in our bodies. So for me, that's wholeness, like being able to, when you asked the question, so I looked up the word, you know, and Mm -hmm. to to define it and to be like, what does it mean? Yeah. You know, having all of its like proper parts, you know, so for me, it is a Mm. collecting of my former selves and like piecing myself together again. And it's like, it's okay if you twerk, it's okay if you, you know, Mm -hmm. dance and wine and drink or smoke, you know, love who you want to love and you can Mm -hmm. still be a yogi. (laughs) Say that a yogista. Come on. Yogista. (laughs) Be a yogista. (laughs) Yes. 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 What's on your mind, Nordia? I think for me, I, I definitely resonate with a lot of what's being said as far as like taking things off with wholeness. I feel like it, in my mind, when I think of wholeness and like reflecting on it today, um, I think of like calming the water, like stilling the water so that it can be a place where there's like a clear, a clear reflection. So I feel like it's, it's creating this space within yourself where like the things that come into you and flow through you and are reflected onto you like you can you're able to see like is this mine another thing that Tamika gave us like no this is not mine like you know like it just it just flows I just think of water and I just think of stillness and reflection and like how that all pulls together into like what wholeness is and with saying that like saying there are all these things that have been put on and and realizing that you're this grand expansive being like it it completely goes against this individualism that euro-american society tries to create in compartmentalizing like this part of you goes here, this part of you goes here and creating separation so that like you can exist in one reality of yourself and be able to alienate yourself from everyone else. And then it makes it real Mm. easy to be like us versus them type situation because you don't see yourself in people out there, even though that is you reflecting back to you. So Mm -hmm. it's just like, There's so many things that like weave together when you think like I am not whole, then you can look at someone else and be like, these are the reasons that they are not whole as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, revolutionaries. At this point, we are going to take a little pause. We're going to have our very first um, ad break ever on this podcast, and we will be back with some more juicy conversation after the break. Hey, revolutionaries, I wanted to let you know that my yoga teacher program comes from a place called IA. IA is home of the non-performative yoga and education for yogis doing the inner work. It's developed by one of my favorite yoga teachers, Abiyala Akani. It is BIPOC-led and non-performative, and it's for yogis that are really looking to liberate their practice from Western fitness and find the yoga that aligns with our values. It's rooted in Indian origins of yoga, but offers those modern approaches to the practice. And it really 
made me feel like I was prepared to go and bring yoga to the people just like you that listen to my podcast and connect with my work in other ways too. If you are interested in taking a non-performative yoga class or maybe even taking the jump and doing your first 200-hour yoga teacher training program, you can check Ia out at iawell.com. That's I-Y-A-W-E-L-L.com. I'll see you in the non-performative space. All right, revolutionaries, we are back and ready to rumble. I think I just mixed up two different sayings there. There's <laughs> back in black and ready to rumble. Yeah, I don't know. E. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're WWE. And we are literally back in black. So um, our, our friend Jam had to go. Um, and it is, you know, we love that she brought into the space that she's the only non-black person in this cohort. And also, we just wanted to um, be clear with you all that that's not why she left. Um, although I do think it's interesting um, that that ended up happening. Spirit do be moving in mysterious ways, y'all. Um, and yeah, so, you know, she had to go do something else. So we are here with Ebony, Nordia, and Tiara. Um, and we're going to continue our conversation. So before our break, Nordia had started talking a little bit more about kind of the socio-political context that we find ourselves in and what yoga has to do with that. I really appreciate that too. And it's made for me circling all the way back to Ebony's opening comment about yoga from the Black woman's perspective. It reminds me of what we learned from Angie, one of our facilitators, which mm -hmm. is Afro Yoga by Angie on Instagram. If you don't know her, y'all, you need to put yourself on immediately. Again, yeah, that's Afro Yogi by Angie. Afro Yoga by Angie. I don't know why I keep saying Yogi. Um, but she was telling us a little bit about how, was it Angela Davis, y'all? Is that who it is? Yeah. Yes. She would be up in prison doing headstands mm -hmm. to support her with her migraines that she got. And of course, she was a political prisoner. Um, and that's an extreme example of how yoga intersects with the sociopolitical context of being a black woman. But there is so much of that history that mm -hmm. we don't necessarily know. And like Tiara was saying, is not talked about in yoga um, widely. Yeah, not even... A little bit. I feel like um, so much of the conversations that are had on social media, you know, or even in, I, I would say even in um, studios, but usually there's not a lot of conversation happening there um, because we come in, we do our yoga class and then we leave, you know, sometimes there's like a little chit chat in the beginning, but I love the way like our YTT program is set up because it leaves so much space for to bring in so much. Um, and I feel like we cannot just show up to this mat without addressing all of the other things that's happening in life. Um, we breathe, especially as Black women, um, women of color, we bring these things to the mat with us. You know, so a lot of the things that we're asking or our teachers are asking of us, it's like, but again, back to that wholeness, like you want me to be whole on my mat, then we need to talk about all of these other things and how I'm bringing myself here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Tiara. And I appreciate you bringing in just being whole on the mat too and what that means and how there's so much that comes with um, 
just being who we are in in the socio-political context that we're in. What else what else is coming up for folks? I think it brings me back to the the name of the YTT like non-performative yoga teacher training. I feel like in order to just like Tiara was speaking to in order to show up non-performatively to the mat, you have to acknowledge like what are all of these other things that are happening? How are we performing when we go out to work? How are we performing? How are we performing race? How are we performing gender? Like, how are we performing all of these things? And what does it mean to reel back some of that and start to acknowledge each other in our wholeness? Like, that's that's a big thing to to ask. And I don't feel like... Speaking honestly, a lot of yoga teachers are up for that task. No. And I feel like nope. just just the nature of yoga, at least how I, I have experienced it, is that it is a tool for liberation. Like it's I haven't experienced mm-hmm. it any other way. So I'm curious, maybe they're experiencing it in a different way. Yeah. Mm. I feel like I've been coming to that a lot, just understanding that we are we are all like experiencing the world so differently. Um, and yes, there's room for compassion in that, but then there's also room for accountability. And um, I was going to just, what you said about um, non-performative, like that was my big pull for this particular yoga teacher training because it re- makes you, like there's just encouragement for us to self-study right? Because we can only come from our own lived experiences, right? And so sometimes when we're getting yoga in these studios and the more um, publicized, because, you know, we like we're learning through Angie, like so many people have practiced yoga as a means for liberation. Rosa Parks, Angela Davis, you know, just to name a couple of people, they come from all different, you know, walks of life, but yoga in itself, the name is union. And it's, it's that, it's to bring everything together right and it gets it just goes so much into the concept of wholeness too because you know we're showing up as we're able to 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 study ourselves and to be able to translate yoga for ourselves you know Mm -hmm. and then to be able to share yoga you know share in this practice you know to support other people's wholeness while not trying to gurufy that was another pull you Mm -hmm. know for this you know teacher training because a lot of times i think you get some hierarchy in yoga in the yoga world and people put a lot of um, pride in being a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so just understanding or just being like more of a steadfast student, you know, who is just sharing mm-hmm. rather than just, you know, trying to say, you know, follow yeah. me, mm-hmm. you know, but this is my experience. This is my lived experience. This is how I got it. And, you know, if you examine yourself, then you'll be able to see which, how you can, you know, translate this and bring it to this world because, you know, it is a unifier and it does help us bring in all those yeah. pieces to make us whole. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I love that. E. It's, I will say when we learned about like removing the guru from this, it took so much weight off of me and anxiety. And cause I'm like, I, I say it as a mother, right? I've told my children, like, I'm not perfect. Y'all I'm a parent. I became a parent at 19. I was a baby myself, you know, so we're in this together and we're learning this together. I'm learning from you just as much as you're learning from me and you're guiding me down my path as well. 
you know? So I don't want to be nobody's guru. <laughs> I don't want to be nobody's healer, but I'm down mm. to do this together. Um, mm-hmm. I work for a nonprofit and a lot of the work that we do is it's co-designing and co-creating. And I feel like that's what we do in our yoga space. It's a lot mm-hmm. of co-creating. We're doing this together. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tiara. And I want to harken back a little bit on the very second episode of my podcast. I had a very special guest named Debrina Jackson Gandy. And one of the things that she brought up, because she's an extraordinary leader and she's also very against gurifying people. Um, Meanwhile, this is a woman who has done speaking engagements all over the world. You know, she'd be flying out, flewing out Mm. everywhere, which where she's got, you know, like people in Atlanta that are like, hey, girl, when are you going to be here? She'll just pick it up and fly out. Like she's got it like that type, you know, she's on that type of time. So she's obviously very successful, but she spoke so much about humility and how humility is an incredibly important piece of the puzzle for her as a leader. And that's part of her wholeness. Um, And when you are able to humbly respond to the call on your life to show up and support people, come alongside people in their healing. You're not the leader. You're not the sage on the stage. You're not, you know, this, this person that should be, uh, praised and whatever, what have you. Uh, but you are somebody who might have access to more of that kinesiology learning. Shout out Adrian. Um, you might have a little bit more access to what each of the chakras are in the body and how those might be showing up in the physical and then, you know, what kind of a yoga flow might support people moving through a specific emotion that they're having. Um, but that's just technical training. That's not you actually healing that person. You're just creating yeah. the environment and the space where they can actually have the tools that they need to heal themselves. Um, I think that is so, so, so important. Because just like I was saying at the beginning, that the amount of power that I can feel I have because of how much the people that I'm teaching trust me, it's a little bit like I'm yeah. a little like, ooh, <laughs> like I'm a little <laughs> scary of it. Like, you know what I mean? But remembering that humility that I'm not the guru, I may have this little education, but um, these people, I'm really inviting them and calling them to heal themselves. Reminding myself of that is really helpful. Yeah. I know I want to say it's definitely speak to the word power when you use it. And I feel like a lot of um, our leaders and um, teachers guiding as you're guiding people, having to redefine the word power for me because it felt like so icky sometimes, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't want to dominate folks. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have control over. I don't want to be up here and, you know, suppressing or oppressing people. Um so learning that it's like all about empowerment, for sure, um, being comfortable in my purpose and what I'm here to do and my experiences and the lenses that I'm using to show up in this world. And if it resonates with you, that's great. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely appreciate anyone who is able to have access to that and don't abuse it. Yeah. Ebony, were you about to say something? Yes. Yeah. No, I do appreciate that take on power and having to really, you know, look at it a little bit closer. Um, and I've, I've been doing that in the last couple of years. Excuse the background, you guys. I'm like, 
some kids playing outside. And <laughs> my babies. But um, yeah, like it's just, it's such a humbling thing, right? Because it, it allows you to, to not overreach. You know what I mean? It allows you to like be able to set limits and be like, this is where I come from, yeah. what I come with. And this is just how I exist in this world, right? And I am open to hear, you know, and to be humble with where you're coming from. But, and I'm open to expand, but at this time, you know what I mean? This is, this is what I got mm -hmm. because if we start having that savior mentality that is often linked to power, like, um, yeah, we're supernatural, you know what I mean? <laughs> we have, but we're also, we're superhuman. We're black mm -hmm. girl magic, right? We're mm -hmm. also just human too, you know, mm -hmm. we don't always get afforded that, um, luxury of just mm. being human because everything. we have to <laughs> everything got to be everything to everyone powerful. all the time <laughs> yeah all the time mm. <laughs> right uh, of all this shit. <laughs> like yeah it's a big responsibility it really is a very big responsibility and it, it's one that just seems like other people don't want to let go away like as much as i <laughs> set my boundaries so i can have my little soft girl life you know People Word. just want, okay, people, they think that if I set a boundary that that's like a suggestion or something. And I'm like, no, hard baby, that was, a, that was a boundary. It is hard and yeah. fast. Yes, hard stop, <laughs> not cushy stop. Like I know my hard body stop. is nice and soft and cushiony, but that's because of the hard stops <laughs> that keep me safe so I can stay soft. Um, yeah, and it's wild. And I'm... I am curious as I go more out into the world of teaching yoga too um, about how that's going to show up because as I sit here right now, you know, my audience is really people that look like us um, or, you know, Pacific Islanders, um, you know, people that look like Jam, um, Latinos or Latinas, you know, Latines, I think is the new term. Um you know, folks who are also at some of these intersections of having a little more melanin in their skin, uh, some of the globally oppressed cultures um, by colonization. But I'm wondering, like, how how do I teach if a white woman comes to my class? Because um, I've never really held space. I, I hold space for white folks um, when I do workshops and teach them about DEI, things like that. Um, but when it comes to the yoga practice with this being, like Nordia was saying, such a practice of liberation for me, I don't even really know how to come alongside a white yeah. person on their liberation yeah. journey um, and what that even means. So I don't know if y'all have thought anything about that yet um, or like what's coming up for you as I say that. So I work with, um, in my, the nonprofit that I, I work with, we have so many different folks, um, cultures, identities, and um, they do a really good job with, they've been doing a really good job with training us in diversity and equity and inclusion. And um, currently, I we had a few folks on the team that identified as white, but right now we don't. It's more so um, Latinx and Black and a few other cultures. But what I have learned personally for me, I 
I don't mind, you know, I, if you are an ally, um, please show up as such and let's talk about the things, you know, like I'm very comfortable with having the uncomfortable conversations and I really don't skirt around things. So I imagine in the classes that I will be teaching, as well as the classes that I have led in the past, because I work with a lot of folks who have disabilities, um, these people are showing up here in their whole selves. So I need you Mm. to make space for that. Um, Mm. So I intend to have the conversations. And if you're coming to my classroom, just know that we will be discussing the things that are happening in life and not... Mm-hmm. pacifying and not uh, spiritual bypassing and you know mm-hmm. love and light everything so that's mm-hmm. what I, I tend to kind of focus on be real right real. I've thought about that too what my class like would look like and how I want it to look um, versus the reality of how it could look you know I was important but when it's I come from a multi, uh, I am in a multiracial relationship, you know what I mean? And my, and me, myself, we talk about wholeness. I have to see all the parts of me, you know, like I am, my grandmother is, um, Native American, so I'm indigenous. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm black. My grandmother had a few husbands. Mm, say <laughs> that, different, mine too. Of different races, you know, mm-hmm. so she, so she married a white man. She married a Honduran. She, um, my mother is the only, um, she has seven daughters and my mother is the only one who has black in her. Now my aunties, you know, especially, mm. you know, Mexican ones, you know, you would, you can't tell they're not black, <laughs> you know, they yeah. all black men. and it's just, I don't want to, you can tell that they're not black, but you know, as far as the culture of what quote unquote blackness is, you know, they were very much raised within that too. Um, but that's a whole different <laughs> long, uh, conversation to have but just to know that I have different parts of me you know what I mean within myself and also mm-hmm. the fact that I have I do you know attract uh, a lot of different types of people because I am open you know what mm-hmm. I mean and understanding it yeah I just have to throw my hands up with that like you know what God you know I just trust mm-hmm. you in what in, in bring whoever you know Bring whoever needs it, you know, let me meet mm. people where they're at, you know, and of course I'm not going to blast, like, I'm not, I'm not here to save you, but I think just having that boundary that we were talking about of just understanding, like, this is, you know, that I'm not the heal, I'm not a healer, actually, you know what I mean? Can right. I heal? Am I going around like pulling myself back? No, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I self-heal and then it goes from there, you know what I mean? It radiates, radiates out from there, but. But yeah, that's a big question. You know what I mean? Like what your class would look like, what you hope your class would look like. I know for me, I'm setting the intention of bringing yoga to everyday marginalized people. So it is going to be, you know, the invitation is there for us, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, you have, you would hope that only allies, you know, kind of come in through the cracks. Mm -hmm. I also appreciate too what you brought in about your spiritual practice and praying to the God of your understanding that um, the people that would be brought to your class are people that you have the capacity and the tools and the skills to serve. Um, yeah. How about you, my fellow academic? What's going Girl, on? I, mean, I know. It's been, it's been 
the wheels have been turning. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, that yes. is a, that really is to echo what Ebony was saying. That really is a big question, and I feel like uh, if someone who identified as white were to walk into a class that I was leading, um, I would I would hope and you know also be like engaging and looking to see like are they in a space where they can sit with discomfort I think we're all like for me I know every time I go to my mat there is a level of looking inside and inquiring and reflecting and seeing like how can I how can I shift today to make more space for my true self and I think if I were to be in that position and for example like we're talking about capitalism in class and we're talking about how whiteness is a figment of the imagination like if we're talking about these things and what is real like if we're considering what is real and whiteness isn't a real thing and someone is uncomfortable by Mm -hmm. that and like you know, makes it a situation to where like, they don't feel like they can be in that space, then I'm okay. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like, that's not my work. I feel like I've learned so much from mm-hmm. Tamika. Like, that's not my yoga. Like, that's for you. That's yeah. for you to like, Excellent. deal with and okay, be in a space where yeah. you're comfortable with a, a white identifying instructor until if you ever are prepared to make a shift. And if you're prepared to make that shift where now you're looking at like, oh, whiteness isn't real. Like this was something that was constructed Mm -hmm. in order to justify violating and stealing land and like raping entire groups of people. Like those, that, if you're ready to be in that space, because that's the space that I'm ready to be in. And I can't, Mm -hmm. while I, I aim to create a space and a container of, of a bravery, like Abigail said, like I can't guarantee it's gonna be safe, girl. And that's not like <laughs> I'm not, we're not. I am not. Yes. I am not squaring up with nobody. Okay, but mm-hmm. if you don't feel safe within yourself, that like this is a place where I can be and reflect within myself in my parasympathetic nervous system in that space, mm-hmm. then I am fine with. You. I'm not gonna hold you here. You don't need to be here right now. And that's right. okay. Like I, yeah. I have to have a level of, because I know for my empathic self, like I have the tendency to like, am I going to take it personally? Like mm-hmm. I have to be practicing that of like being able to detach myself from the outcome of like, you know, moving towards what my, my higher self and higher calling is. So if I'm moving towards Mm -hmm. that place and I'm attached to the results of what's happening along that journey, then like, I'm never going to get there. So Mm. if a white woman walks into my white woman, white man, whoever walks into my class and, and, you know, is willing to be there and is like, all right, let's do it. Then let's do it. Mm. Yeah. Right. And guess what? 90, guess what? Ninety-five percent of the yoga classes that are not yours. <laughs> guess what their leader looks. Exactly. <laughs> I have not been yeah, to yeah. one yoga class in the Orlando area that is led by a black woman. Black woman, mm-hmm. black man. And you're moving to California. <laughs> yeah. 
You could have been that one teacher. I know. Nadia, but you had to take I your know. ass to the West Coast, best coast. Listen, <laughs> don't be the <laughs> Yeah, actually, though, because that is never a good idea. Yeah. It's not. It's you really know not. It's. I think I've been mm-hmm. in spaces. I worked in a few different industries, um, the tech industry in, in particular. And one of the companies that I worked in, I was the only Black girl in the whole office and it does not feel good you know I think that's for specific people but I realized in that space that I don't I don't want to be that unicorn (laughs) it's not it's not for me and then it also realized too like this is no longer my work and that's when I shifted to working in black and brown communities rather than trying to come back and argue and get white folks to see the issues and the problems and race. And like, that's not my work anymore. My work is like, I'm shifting and focusing on my people and bringing us to wholeness together as a community. Yes. And that requires a lot of energy to like go out and really like try to be someone's, someone's like conscience or like, tried to get them to understand mm-hmm. like it requires so much energy and it's yeah. just I just found that I'm that's I'm not that person like I'm not that person well because you're like constantly at odds with Always. them and their and their concept of who you are right. because in their concept of who you are you're an object basically you and you, yes and you represent you you are just literally a concept exactly you are not a human being. They will never see and the humanity. Is... Never mm-hmm. see our humanity. Right, and you'll be you'll be having conversations. Never, that is hope. Limited scope mm-hmm. that they can see. Yeah, you know, they don't really. They, yes, because every they don't they've never had to see outside of their own gaze. You know, and mm-hmm. it's I don't know Toni Morrison. I'm going to paraphrase what she said because yes. I thought it all the time because I do get in that. Sometimes I get in those deep dives of trying to think for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And like, it's, it's just it's so much energy. And mm-hmm. Toni Morrison said like, racism is a distraction. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's not that it's, it's not prevalent. It's not that it's, um, it's not that we don't need to dismantle it, but it does get in the way sometimes of us putting all that energy, you know, into the, the spinning wheel, you know what I mean? And we need mm-hmm. to like focus it in on what needs to be focused in on. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Absolutely. So, Tiara, you brought up something interesting, too, making that pivot from even being in spaces where racism, well, white-based racism is something that you have to even interface with very much. Because in in black and brown spaces, obviously, we do deal with colorism. Uh, We deal with hair texturism. We deal with all these different Um, isms that we have that's kind of our own internal conversation that we need to have but there isn't that same kind of uh, white racialized racism in these black and brown spaces and so I'm also curious for y'all what does that look like when you are in our spaces what does bringing wholeness to us look like for you um, in your practice because I know for me I made that pivot a couple years ago also where I kind of had this realization like oh I'm not cut out to argue. I'm not cut out to be the only one. My racially ambiguous ass, it's also just disrespectful. I I think I can cuss on here. This is my podcast. Yes, this is my podcast. It is disrespectful as fuck when I'm the only black person in the room. I'm just like, what in the world? 
y'all couldn't have gotten somebody that just it doesn't look as racially ambiguous at least like jesus but um yeah i've really been divesting and pulling my energy back and what's come up for me is i'm so much more creative mm-hmm. now like so much more creative now i'm writing i am uh i have this podcast like i'm uh doing visual arts i'm creating community events like all that energy that was going into arguing and and being the only one in a space and what that feels like once i've taken it back i've become more powerful um I feel more empowered and I'm actually able to serve my people better. I think that falls into, so just again, the topic of the discussion of your wholeness. Um, When you're in those Mm -hmm. spaces, I do not think that you're able to show up in your entirety. At least I didn't feel like I could, right? Like when I was working and I, one of the places that I worked in, it was literally like a frat house, you know, white males, predominantly in the tech industry before it started like booming with a lot of black folks in the office that I was working in, it was like a a frat house, you know, with white boys and it was two black folks in the whole office. It was me and then a black male. So I couldn't, you know, I couldn't really, I felt so isolated. The black dude was not interested he was very just like um trying to side with the other folks didn't seem like you know he wanted he was ben carson yeah man like i I was trying to put it like nicely but (laughs) (laughs) Um, leave it to sylvia (laughs) and the women that was in the office they weren't really trying to be simpatico either you know, so I was very isolated. And I remember someone was like trying to make me feel better or give me an advice. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna quit this job because I just don't feel comfortable. Mind you, I've never felt comfortable in corporate spaces. It's just not, it's not me. And I had to learn that after a few years, but um, I never felt like I was bringing my full self into that space until I was able to walk away and really get into the work that I can do. You know, going into corporate America, I had to hide my tattoos and hide my piercings and worry about my hair and, you know, like dress a certain way. And I'm like, fuck, I I can't do this. I can't do this because I'm leaving out pieces of myself. So I think Sylvia being able to create, you know, now I'm able to step into this world and I do so much more than what I did back then because I'm accepting who I am. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's really wild how you think that you have to put, or at least for me, I will speak for myself. I have thought that I needed to show up in whatever way that conforms with that corporate America expectation or nonprofit America expectation um, in order to be able to have a paycheck. So then I can put food on the table and house over my head. And it just felt like there was kind of this system that I was supposed to be a part of. You get a job, Mm -hmm. you work 40 to 45 hours a week, you have a car note, you pay your credit card bill and you get married and have kids, um, and have a white picket fence and live in the town that you were for the rest of your life (laughs) and repeat yeah and I I really did I tried so hard to conform Mm -hmm. to that because I thought it was what I was supposed to do I don't even know who I was trying to make happy with that like looking back because my parents never conformed to that really my grandparents didn't really conform to that either I 
I don't know, probably need to um, do some more journaling to figure that out. But um, it wasn't making me happy. And um, I don't fit in that system. And the more I divest from that system, the more money I have to pay my bills, the more food that I have to put on the table that I can then feed my friends with too, uh, metaphorically and literally. Um, The more that I do stuff that feels right and makes sense for me, um, the more that energy just comes back to me. Um, And I think it's really interesting how taking off those masks removing that stuff like Nordia was talking about at the beginning um, uh, that disrupted or fragmented my wholeness has made me more whole. And it, it wasn't like I mm. needed to add something to myself. Yeah. I just needed to take away the fake shit. Facts. <laughs> That's the word. You know, I feel like I've had or I'm having like a reverse culture shock. But before I even say that, Sylvia, I'm so happy that you unpacked all that and you are in your bag because what you are creating and what you're bringing to this world, like through the writing, through your research on, you know, just systems. I'm got, you know, through your book and I'm just blown away just by. Mm, Thank you. Yeah. What you're bringing to the world. Incredibly inspired by it. Um, But yeah, just the, about me just kind of having a, a bit of reverse culture shock, you know, because I grew up, my father it was a part of the um, Nation of Islam, mm-hmm. you know, so he was about it. He was, you know, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't as present in my life, but I did, I did get remnants of that my whole life. And, you know, I grew up going to Juneteenth. I grew up always being very represented. Then, mm-hmm. you know, even in, you know, maybe not so much, you know, in, in, in my schooling, but like, even when I got to, to uh, high school, you know, two out of the three of my English teachers were black. That's very rare for my little town that I grew up in in New Mexico. And um, and I'm an English, you know, student. I love uh, writing and, you know, but so, and then I ended up going to historically black college, you know, and then I, I got to study in Africa for a couple of summers. And then I lived in Atlanta and I lived, you know, my school was in Oklahoma, which people don't realize, you know, Oklahoma has some rich black history there mm-hmm. too. And Let's so I, go Tulsa. Right. And so I've gotten um, so much richness within my culture, you know, and then life brought me back home and I got to see like how much I've changed, but how much my situation or my, you know, my hometown didn't change. And like I was I was kind of like, oh, this is really what's going on because I'm seeing it with new eyes. And then I get into, you know, interracial relationship and then I moved to Portland and I'm like, I've never had this close proximity to whiteness. And so I've never really consider their gaze and so it's Mm -hmm. been a little bit of a expander I'll say that to be able to kind of just see you know myself from a wider perspective or what I may look like to someone else because honestly like I'm so happy I'm having to check it with the brain that I have now Mm -hmm. and not my malleable Mm -hmm. younger self you know what Mm -hmm. I mean because like it does have me sitting a little bit more pride but I think it is a testament to understand like how strong representation matters like how strongly it matters you know so yeah it's it's just it's a wonderland <laughs> just gotta figure all that out what you got Nordia? <laughs> i'm such a like a a receiver like i'm just sitting here like yes to everything that y'all are saying just in my head like oh my goodness i wanted to respond to like what you were saying about 
you know, stepping away from something and you not having to add anything to it. It was just like you, you detached your energy from that thing. And then you just had, like, you didn't have anything else that was like, oh, I don't have to go get this next certification or like do this next training or like prepare myself in any other way. I just have this energy for me. And I think that's, it's a, it's a hard thing to, to recognize and to like realize in a world that tells you that you need to have all these different attachments and different connections. You need to be putting your effort into all these different places. And then like, even with the whole, like, strong black woman trope and all of that and like you know it just creates an expectation now there's this new frame that you have to fit of what it means to be or to show up the way you are in this world that already puts your value at less than nothing so I think that's Mm -hmm. it's something that I have been reflecting on because it's like you go out into the world, you follow this this pre, this prescribed path of like go to school, mm. get a job. We're gonna pay you this minimum wage for what we have decided your time is worth <laughs> or your your effort is worth. And then if you get sick or you know if you have to if you have something that comes up outside of this commitment that you've made, then you, you're no longer of value or like we can just easily replace you. You're just another, like your position isn't something that's like for you or mm-hmm. like needs you. It doesn't need you. You We're just going to find someone else to do it. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's it's such a an interesting place to like enter and to like that we've all agreed as a society that like that's how (laughs) how we're gonna live our lives like we're going to create this value system and then we're going to capitalize on on people's like Mm -hmm. desires and goals and dreams and put Mm -hmm. it into this container where we can put out maximum profit and build and develop and it's just like when truly when you step away from it all you realize like as as the more we grow and the more we build and the more we like expand as a nation the more destruction and violence and like the Mm -hmm. more people there are with not enough food to eat and who don't have clean water who are living in horrible conditions like it's just it's it's such an interesting and like it's it's very (laughs) it's very amazing to me like how it has all come together and it's very interesting that like it's it's just this this machine this this hydra Mm -hmm. as someone call it like that it just continues to grow like arms that like you know you step away from it and you look at it and you're like I was a part of that it's almost like you wake up oh my god (laughs) 
yes. and you start wow. to see like what it actually has how it actually has changed you and like you were mm-hmm. saying like you just go along with all it. of like, the crowd just, right right it's not like you're in a dream state yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes Yes, it really is like you're in a dream state. You're just comp- like you're dis uh, disassociating. Disassociating. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and it's crazy how these companies require our labor, and yet they, the individual person giving the labor is disposable, mm-hmm. and that is just That's at the crux of that culture. And it teaches you to see yourself as yeah. disposable, but your labor is valuable. Right. That's why you gotta work for rest. <laughs> right. I rant. My best friend and I, we have been talking about this for years. And it's it's a it's mm-hmm. a topic that I often I just rant about, you know, because I've always said I'm not cut out for this life. And I mm-hmm. used to say it when I was younger and people would call me lazy and all kinds of I'm not lazy, baby. I have a strong work ethic. But this mm-hmm. this 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 stuff that we put together and said, this is what life is. Mm. It is, it's not for me and I don't want it. Mm-hmm. And it's not sustainable, not even a little right. bit, you know? So this, at this stage in my life, I'm like, I can't even pretend anymore, nor do I want to. So uh, divesting and pulling away is essential to me and uh, my success as well as my children, my lineage. Um mm-hmm. You know, I in the beginning of this conversation, someone brought up rest and having to earn rest. I think it was you, Nordia, when you mm-hmm. were talking about that, you know, and I was like, in my head, I'm like, yes, right? Coming from a Caribbean background, like, you better not be sleeping. Are you have the audacity to be asleep at seven o'clock in the morning? You know, like, right. you have to earn your rest. I think that's what it was when you said you and you do, you do. <sighs> You and I've seen it. I see it in, in the women and my family, and even like my daughter has picked up some aspects of it from society. Like you, she feels like she has to do all of these things before she can rest. And I'm like, no, resting is your birthright. It's so real. Period. That's so real. Period. I'm tired right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and especially too for those of us as black women who have black mothers, black grandmothers, like it's really generational yeah. for us too. Because like these folks who have historically, you know, hoarded um money and resources in the United States, they'll hold that over our heads so that they can rest mm-hmm. while us and our grandmothers, our grandfathers have provided the labor because everybody does you know there's a certain amount of labor that an individual life requires in order for that life to be lit do you know what I mean literally from the from the moment that you are birthed your mother is in labor over you um but these people who have hoarded resources they can pay out other people to do the labor for them and so then they get to rest I'm like who's really lazy yeah Who's really like like and how is that not clear, you know, to, to these to their minds, you know what I mean? That that's what's happening. And then they claim this innocence, like, well, I didn't know. I didn't know this is how it was for other people, or I didn't know this is how you guys feel. And it, you know, it's just it's such an obvious, you know, 
it's just so obvious to me to see how we have been exploited for our, our work. Yeah. Now it goes back to what you were saying, Ebony, about like just coming from a completely different mindset. Like to them, like they came and conquered, quote unquote. And in that that process of violence, they were seeing the land as like this is commodity. We can, you know, take something from this. And then we're going to turn it around and put it on the people who have stewarded this land, steal some other people to come here to this land, and we're going to have them work the land for us to make us a profit. And it's just like, huh? <laughs> what? Right. Every, yeah, and I think I love that we're in this rest movement. I feel like Black women, you know, we we have like the Octavia Rahims like and just mm-hmm. beautiful work that the Nat Ministry does. Like we deserve to be in the drive or not even deserve to be in the driver's seat because we don't deserve to be in the driver's seat, but it has to come from our perspective, you know. And I'm mm-hmm. that's all I've ever seen. My mother, I remember working two or three jobs, you know what I mean. So that's when I think about my motherhood and the way that I'm able to mother my kids is talk about revolution. You know what I mean? It's revolutionary work that I'm yes. able to do to be able to grab the baton from where. It was given to me and take it from here. Like I'm a rest. Y'all aren't about to work with me. You know what I mean? Right. It's just not gonna happen. I, yeah. And then I'll share that. Share whatever I'm learning because I am very much still learning. You know, I you just I could speak on it so you know, I could speak on it, but it just it's work, you know what I mean? It's it's the intellectual part, oh I get it, you know what I mean? But right. actually bringing that into my life, integrating that into my life and really changing my mindset around rest and not feeling like I'm lazy, not feeling mm-hmm. like I'm slow, not yeah. feel like I'm piddling around or I'm not doing enough to accomplish. Like that guilt is heavy. <laughs> it is. Um, thanks y'all. This has been such a juicy conversation. I feel like it's such a great segue to just circling all the way back to what Nordia was talking about at the beginning around yoga being a practice for liberation. Um, and I appreciate just the gentle call-ins um, that you all offered me. Like, girl, just pay attention to what you need to pay attention to. Don't pay attention to them. Um, but also just the critiques that we've been mm-hmm. able to have throughout the course of this conversation on on the yoga community, um, on the white gaze, and those different things. So as you know, we're nearing maybe the end of this conversation. I want to get into this co- this question about what is your advice for people on their pursuit of wholeness, but really in that context of yoga being a practice of liberation for us, as us being yoga practitioners, um, and you know, speaking maybe to the other yogistas that might be revolutionaries listening, but also just to the everyday revolutionary that makes it a practice to listen to this podcast. So what do y'all think? <sighs> big question, big question. It is, it is. <laughs> y'all got big answers. I know yeah. it. Uh, I think for me, um, when you ask that question, the first thing that I consider is like, what even is liberation? Like, what what does that look like? And my understanding of it isn't that it's from something else onto something else. Like, it's not about, for example, like, saying, like, I need to be liberated 
from my oppressor because then that is the assumption that the oppressor like somehow owns your humanity and I think that Mm. like there is a deep understanding that comes in walking in liberation that like you are removing from yourself like we've been talking about removing from yourself this identity as a victimized being now Mm. (laughs) that comes with all the the caveats of yes oppression exists yes violence yes like colonialism imperialism Mm -hmm. capitalism like racism everything like all of those things still are being perpetuated however Mm -hmm. in in holding on to and owning and taking this thing of yoga as liberation, I think it is doing what Angela Davis was doing in a prison. Mm-hmm. She was in headstands. Like, like if right. you are if you are saying that, yes, you can, you can put me in this place, but I still have liberation in my mm. body, in my mind, like I'm still a liberated being. That mm-hmm. that's something that's just like, oh, like <laughs> what is what else is there right. to do? Like you can't break right. I can't break try your, hold, just try and hold me. I back. can't break your spirits. I, <laughs> right. Like that's you can't break there's just soul. some shit they can't there's just some things they can't take from you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really and, and that, truly. Right, and that 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 capitalism, all those isms, it doesn't have to be my identity. Right, that for me, being a black woman yes. is defined completely differently than it is in the white gaze. Um, yeah. Also, you know, just being a brown, racially ambiguous person for me also is I uh, defined completely differently than it is defined conceptually in the in the white gaze. Thank you so much for that, Nordia. You unlocked some new things in my mind. Same. Yeah, I like that you said, you know, removing the being a victim, you know, not making it part of your identity. And I feel like that was something that I've had to do on this journey. It's like, yes, all of these things exist, but it doesn't have to be, I don't have to live in it and swim Mm. in it and drown in it. You know, I can... Uh, fight the good fight and understand that there is a detachment from from the from this and that my oppressor doesn't essentially own me right that falls into my spirituality it's like I am a being having a human experience so it's like yeah we can put all of these things on this body but like you don't own my soul Mm. and that's some like that's some real ass shit like really to embody mm-hmm. and to live every day um so i appreciate you noria bringing that up because it's something that like i've thought about and felt and just like have to like really remind myself often what else what else would you say to as your advice to people on their pursuit of wholeness oh man um I'm always so reluctant to give people advice, you know, because that's so good. (laughs) Yeah. I have a love hate relationship with the fact that I even asked this question. (laughs) 
I really, I really am. And as cliche and possibly corny as it sounds, my advice to people is always follow your heart because it's your internal mm-hmm. compass. It does not yep. lie. Like your intuition, it doesn't lie. I speak to my heart daily. It, it is a practice that I do every morning, every evening, um, before I make a big decision, before I make a move. I listen truly like to what it is asking for. And if you listen, it will speak. It speaks Mm -hmm. to you in so many different ways. So my advice um, is usually that, like, what is, what are you being pulled towards? What is your heart needing? You know, your body speaks to you. What does your body need? And please give it that always. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) That's the juiciness of like yoga because it helps you. We think about, Holistic, you know, the alt spelling with, you know, W H O L I S. You know, yeah, don't let me spell that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm trying to say, the alt version of holistic, because it really does, you know, speak to your mind, body, and soul, right? And you have yeah. to be able to connect all those, you know, all those parts together. And yoga does that, you know what I mean? Breath work does that. These healing modalities do that, but they do that for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And I often feel like we get the advice to take up space, the push mm-hmm. to take up space. But like mm-hmm. I would say, like if I was to, you know, like to give yourself space, that's what I'm learning. You know what I mean? To be able to give yourself mm-hmm. space for your own wholeness. And then mm-hmm. if you feel compelled, because, you know, it's a brave act to share your story, to share your narrative. But that's the best way to teach people is not by saying do this step one, two and three. It's by you leaning in and trusting yourself, right? And then, yeah, like leaning in to trust yourself so that you can be able to hear what this life is giving you, you know, and that so you could share that in whatever artistic or whatever creative way that that comes out because that's what people need. They need to learn through narrative and not necessarily through listicles, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's the inspiration. It's, I mean, there's so many people that inspired me, but, you know, our, our lived in experiences is so different. So I can't do what you do. Right. Not mm-hmm. exactly, you know, not to the T and you can't do what I do because mm-hmm. our lives are not the same, right. but yeah. take what you need. Right. Cause you know, right. take from it. Right. I think about that as a mother too, because you give birth, you know, to these children who, you know, them, you know, their responsibility. Mm-hmm. But they are themselves. They came with their own, you know, unique um, footprint. And mm-hmm. you just have to guide them at at least. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that's the least that we can do is guide them right. and to help them to trust themselves and to build that confidence so that they too can listen to themselves. And yeah, I don't think that, yeah, I, don't, I, I, de- I definitely believe that, like, you know, the Buddha says, like, um, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Like that's what my mm. my are for me. You know what I mean? Just teacher, yeah. and they really have been able to show me that more in myself and take more responsibility for my walk. You know what I mean? And yes. to be so, when they look back and they say, "Well, my mama didn't do this because you know mamas get it hard. We don't get a lot of yeah. things. right." I'm gonna be like, "Well, this is how I was trying because this is a whole experiment." You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and we're just experiencing life, this life together, and yeah. Mm. That's so special. I appreciate you for bringing motherhood into the conversation too, because it's a whole thing. And I haven't birthed any humans yet, but 
I do feel like I have a lot of sons. Um, yes, and daughters, <laughs> I suppose. But sons in this context is a gender expansive term, and uh, <laughs> yes. you are my son. <laughs> you are a kid. Um, okay, Nikki. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like Nikki. Um, I am a cancer. I am mommy. And um, yeah, it's just, it's interesting because people love to hate their mom, mm. um, but they also love to take from their mom. Um, and the way that that relationship is set up, it is something where when you're little, you're supposed to take from your mom. And that's what makes sense. But just like we were talking about earlier, a time comes when it's time for you to grow up. And like Maya Angelou challenged us to, are we going to actually grow up and recognize our mother and give back to her and and reciprocate? And so I've been thinking about that a lot lately yeah. um, and just what it takes to, to mother and be a mother that receives so much. <laughs> yeah. It takes a lot. And I think that this yoga journey definitely helps to prepare you for it. Um. You know, I being a mom to someone who has a disability um, and knowing early on that I didn't want to parent the way that I was parented um, and that I couldn't, you know, mm -hmm. there's there's no way that growing up with a, what a lot of us grew up with, like, I can't pass that on to this mm -hmm. kid, you know, <laughs> there's no there's no way that I can do that. Um, and that's where they've taught me. Uh, I've had to like unlearn and unpack so much and mm -hmm. um, has literally motherhood has literally forced me to look at my shit and be like, yo, like this stops here. Um, I don't want my children. I'm always so committed to raising uh, free black children, mm -hmm. whatever that looks like for them. And that yeah. is like of my utmost importance. Um, and E, like you were saying, like being their guide. You know, whenever I give any advice about parenthood, I'm like, you don't own these beings. They are not yours. You are here to guide. I always think of myself as like the bumpers and bowling. Like, mm. you know, you're here to buffer and to like mm. gently push them back in the middle. But like, that's about it. Mm. You know, and talk about like letting go and, and, and not feeling the need not to control. Mm. being a parent like it's it's mm. it's it's definitely a teacher you know yeah and I think also after letting go trusting that your sons or whatever your children mm. are going to <laughs> grow and and realize all that you've done for them and return in gratitude just based on their own spiritual practice and their own yeah. ethical practice mm-hmm mm. Lots of prayer. <laughs> Lots of prayer. Listen. Listen, Linda. Yes. Mama be on these knees, okay? okay. Same. I actually, I got a prayer chair today. I, like I was telling y'all, I went to the thrift store and I got a chair just to do my prayers in because mm. I was tired of sitting on the floor and doing it. And I actually got this chair off the side of the street. So it was the only free item I picked up today, but I saw it. And my grandma Bessie was like, that's the one, girl. That's the prayer chair. So I was like, okay, I listen to you. <laughs> just, just praying, like, just to add the things. You know, sometimes we, we think about, like, you know, healing yoga, all these things. But I just, 
I don't, I'm not, I promise I'm not about to get behind a pulpit, but I do, Octavia Rahim, you know, one of the rest champions in this world, she said, I just recently heard her say, you know, I need help as a complete, as a complete prayer, you know, mm. um, we just forget that that is just the tool too, you know, mm. such a tool. And however that looks, yeah. the prayer chair, do we need a prayer chair? Listen, girl, I needed a prayer chair. I prayed about, I, I, I said, I need help making my prayer practice stronger. And somebody said, get a prayer chair. And so I was like, I don't want to spend money on a prayer chair. And they was like, go to the thrift store. And so I went to the thrift store and then won't you know it, the prayer chair was sitting on the sidewalk. So listen every day. And that, so that is my testimony. And I will say, you know, I'm, I'm working on becoming more of a prayer warrior as we speak. Mm -hmm. So, um, but we could do a whole nother podcast on prayer and what that means in the spiritual practice. So I think at this point, we're going to leave the revolutionaries hanging a little bit with this cliffhanger. Um, and I would love to invite you all to say any last words, a phrase or a sentence just to say goodbye to the revolutionaries. All right, revolutionaries, um, I want to leave you with this mantra that Tamika Caxton Miller gifted to us, which is Idam Na Mama, which means it is not mine. It is not mine, period. Mic drop. <laughs>